The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of hope. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to an episode that is going to be so different for most that I do, because number one, it's about a topic I know very little about. And it, it, it touches on metaphysics, meaning beyond the physical world in a way that I've never discussed. I have to tell you that my guides are amazing and your guides are amazing. I believe the message from spirit was either today or yesterday talking about how your, your guides are here. You have to trust they're always with you. So I was really relaxing today. I said to Ty, I only have two events today, lunch with some girlfriends, which I never have the time to do, and dinner out with my husband tonight. And I said, I don't have any work events. I thought this broadcast was tomorrow. So there I am sitting downstairs. I had the luncheon and thank goodness I'm mildly dressed up and <laughs> ready for this broadcast because all of a sudden the thought was put in my head, look at your calendar. I looked at my calendar and I said, what? This is today? Five minutes ago. And 10 minutes ago, I was thinking, I better prepare for that show about the noosphere tomorrow. So we are what's, we're doing what's called in the Navy, winging it. In that I realized I, I could not have become an expert on my topic in, in days. And that's why we have our wonderful guest who I'm now going to bring in. But I want you to know that I'm just laughing because if it weren't for the guides, I would have been sitting downstairs and our wonderful guest would have been saying, what is going on? And all of you who've come to join us today. So I'm bringing in right now, Dr. <laughs> Jim Craig, who I met through this work several years ago, and you've been to several of my events. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Suzanne. Why don't you tell everybody about your background? Because it's very varied. And I was just so impressed that you, I want to know more about when you went to medical school. This is like later in life, right? Definitely. Yeah, that was yeah. definitely. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> one thing that I realized as I was preparing for this is I've been interested in human evolution since I was a kid, which it wasn't a usual thing to be. But I, I mean, when new books would come out about the, you know fossils and human evolution and things. I I I would go down and buy the hardcover book while I was in high school, okay. and I, I I cut some class one time to go see uh, Leakey speak, and and it's been fascinating to me. And so sometime I think it was in I think 1969 or maybe I I came across um, the concepts of Terre de Chardin. 
Okay, now we have to stop because there's somebody that knows how to pronounce it. I'm familiar with Taylor de Chardin from, because I wrote a book called The Priest and the Medium. And uh -huh. that's about, a, it's not about me. People think it is now and they think, they think that I'm the medium and that the priest is Thai. And that's like a big <laughs> joke because my husband is like the least likely person to be a priest. But the priest and this, the medium was Anne Gaiman and the priest was Wayne Knoll, a Jesuit priest. He introduced me to Taylor de Chardin. Taylor. How do you say it? Taylor. Taylor de Chardin, a Jesuit priest who was quite the, the thinker. And a lot of people quote him. Jim, I want to get back to your biography in a minute, but I, I realized I failed to introduce that what we're going to be talking about today is this topic of the noosphere, okay? And it's a brand new term to a lot of people, even though it's been around since the middle of the last century. So hang on, everybody, because Jim knows a lot about it, and you'll learn more about it, but we got to establish Jim's background first. So sorry about interrupting you, but please- It's all right. I, I want to be really brief about my background, because this is really more about Teilhard in the noosphere. So um, anyway, I became interested in consciousness and and um, became interested in the works of Teilhard and ended up in college. But I was not a very good student. I was in and out of college, but I, I learned transcendental meditation when I was going to summer school at Stanford in 1970. And it, it became fascinating to me. I realized right away I wanted to become a TM teacher, but they said, no, you have to study a bit more. You have to be in school a bit more. But you, the, the, the transcendental meditation people told you right, you needed right, to continue right, right, college? Yeah, that's a, okay. so I, I didn't finish college, though, but I did get to go in and, and learn um, how to teach TM. I went met with Marishi in 1971, and then again in a longer period in 73, and, and learned how to teach TM and became very active in teaching TM for a number of years. I was very interested in prevention and consciousness and still in, T, in, in Teilhard and and in prevention, because there's so much things related to, so many illnesses related to stress. So eventually, as I, my, I got married, Linda has been to your, your conferences with me. We've been together since 1970. And, Hi, Linda. <laughs> and uh, you know, the, the idea was that we would teach TM and do that. But as we developed children, we had children, and it became clear that I needed more education and more funds to support ourselves. So I went back to school to become a physician. And initially, I was interested in preventive medicine. But by the time I went to medical school, we had two girls in, in elementary school. And, and it was a fascinating time. And so I ended up coming to UVA for my residency in psychiatry. And we've been in Charlottesville ever since. Oh, wow. Okay. Along the way, um, I became interested in some of the things that were done at UVA, well before I ever even heard of UVA, while I was in California, I became interested in near-death experiences and children who remember past lives. I had one of Ian Stevenson's, who's the professor from UVA that did a lot of research on children who recall past lives. I had his first book out in the early 1970s. I'm not sure how I was guided to that, but that's what happened. I had a guide that was telling me to look, find these things, I guess. and. So um, along the way in psychiatry, I also became interested in the works of Brian Weiss, who's a psychiatrist who's done a lot of work on past life regression. And I've attended some of his seminars. And it's been fascinating to learn about these things. So University of Virginia is really the 
one of the preeminent places for near-death studies and for children who recall past lives. So I've gotten to know the people at that foundation fairly well. And they, um, at some point, I never really thought much about mediumship, but at some point along the way in this past few years, somehow it came to my attention that you were doing a course on getting in touch with your guides. And so I thought that should be interesting. So I did it and it was, and, and uh, we've gone to several of your, or some of your conferences since then, and, and it's been very interesting. So I've read a bunch of books about that and time. I can't hear you. You're muted, I think. Your microphone says a little X through it. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, you were trying to stop me, but I couldn't hear. I couldn't hear you. I, I saw you, your lips moving, but I thought maybe you were talking to somebody else. Sorry, go no, ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What's up with the microphone? Yeah. No, I was just. I'm just so fascinated that when medical doctors come to my classes on mediumship, I love the open-mindedness of that. But your background with TM, you were already open-minded beforehand. Yeah. The thing, you know, one of the things I learned back in the 70s, we were living in San Francisco when we first met and when we were starting TM, is that this is maybe not such a nice thing to say, but I think open-mindedness is very good. But there were some people I ran into that were so open-minded, it was like they had a vacancy sign around their neck. You know, it's like, you know, I, I've learned not to just believe in something because somebody says it. And That's which good. is one of the reasons I respect your work is, uh, quote, evidential medium. And, and the works also of... of um, people at UVA that are doing these, like Ian Stevenson, he didn't just take it just because the child had a past life memory that that was, uh, was an authentic thing. He was like a detective trying to clarify whether these were validatable. So I think that it's important to keep an open mind and to also be objective and, and sensible. But when you mix the two together, you have a nice combination of growth, I think. Yes, indeed. Good. So, with your work and listening to the things you had um, and with my work thinking about the newosphere, my daughter, well, here, I, 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 I think it's worth thinking about how did this interview even come about? Okay. And in March of this year, March 6th, you, you did a uh, channeling session with Sanaya related to the current world situation, especially about the war in Ukraine. And in the second paragraph, uh, the word noosphere was used. I'll just read what Sanaya said for a portion of that. How many are asking, why are world affairs as they are? Why is there war? Why is there suffering? Why, if we are souls, do we continue to come to a place where people hurt each other and the planet upon which we live and nothing ever changes? Sanaya said, do not think this is so. If you could see from our perspective, you would see that changes are taking place. We see the light from your, of your noosphere growing a bit brighter moment by moment as new personalities emerge and remain a bit more connected to source, to awareness than those who have come before them. And I, the word noosphere really caught my attention because I've been thinking about it for so many years. It's not something you usually hear. Right. Um, a number of months before that, uh, my daughter pointed out to me that she had heard one of your one of your um, Sanaya messages from July 19th of 2019, which said, "We like in the middle of it. We like to bring levity to the situations, and tell you that many of you think you are going 
you're not growing at all, but at the level of seeing the light in your noosphere, that is the level of energy that humanity creates around your earth. You have risen from the dark ages to what we now lovingly refer to as the dim ages. I love that expression. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's stop there for a second. So it surprises me that my guide, Sanaya, speak of the noosphere because it's not a term I'm familiar with. I got goosebumps already and that <laughs> they say, and you are surprised that we know more than you, right? <laughs> <laughs> but that that is a bit of humor they have used before that they can see the light around our planet. And so many of us become dismayed and think that we're going backwards, we're not advancing. And they say, you've gone from the dark ages to now, and it's the dim ages. But I, I, I feel that that gives us hope. We are growing, and we can look around ourselves and see the way people treat each other. We still have wars and invasions. So clearly, we do not have fully awakened people running the world. So hopefully, with discussions like these and more light workers, we can move from the dim ages to the bright ages. That's the goal. But this, this band of light around the world is what they're referring to as the noosphere. Right. Absolutely. I asked Bev, Bev kindly checked in the previous uh, Sanaya messages, and those are the only two times they've ever used the word noosphere. Okay. I actually would wonder whether Teilhard is in your group. I'd be wondering, you could, that'd be interesting to check on that sometime. Well, I just woo, got goosebumps because I just, oh, okay. I got an immediate thumbs up to that. I never think to ask, but I got a thumbs up. And he says that the connection began with Wayne Knoll. Huh. It's that's all fascinating. Yeah. yeah, that's very good. Okay, so I'll have well, to anyway, talk with him and ask specific questions at some point. That, that session in July came about because of the following topic. The question was, what are we supposed to be learning from this administration, meaning the presidential administration, from all the anger and hatred? And Sanaya said, this is a very important point here, I think, for the, what, what we're going to talk about for the rest of this session. What you are supposed to be learning, my friend, is that there are four viewpoints you can take in this world. You can take the I-centered viewpoint, you can take the group-centered viewpoint, you can take the global-centered viewpoint, and the cosmic-centered viewpoint. Each one will give you a different view of what is happening in your world. Successively higher viewpoints will bring you more and more peace. There are, continued later, there are two kinds of power, that which you understand in your human roles, which give you authority over others, and then there is the true power, which does not lord itself over another, which sees no difference between you. Your true power is awareness, remaining aware that all you all of you share the same source, that you are all arise from mind. May I interrupt for a second here? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, and good just point. tell you that there's a function now on YouTube. In the future, you can get a transcript of this whole discussion. But I'm going to ask Bev to get the parts of the Sanaya channeling sessions that you're quoting here, and we'll add them to the description on YouTube under the video. Great. I'll send them to her, and then oh, uh, that might help her find them. Very good. Okay. Um, Okay, so really, um, I, I was thinking that having heard those two things, most of your most of your listeners probably wouldn't be aware of that concept. So I wrote and offered you whether you know I could share what I understand about it. So we could say, what is the noosphere? Then let's go on to that. Um, 
the word I think first came into usage in 1922, so about 100 years ago, when Terre de Chardin uh, wrote an academic paper in French titled The Cosmogenesis. He later described it much more in essays from the 1930s and 1940s, and lastly in the 50s. He died in 55. And, and just as we have the geosphere, geos for Earth and sphere, of course, a hydrosphere, hydro water, and biosphere, bios, describing the Earth, oceans, and film of life on Earth, so also the noosphere is a combination of nos, N-O-O-S, Greek for thought or mind or spirit, and sphere to describe the thinking, feeling envelope of Earth. Some people pronounce it noosphere, some pronounce it noosphere. I've heard even people that are quite expert in the in, in this understanding of theory call it the noosphere, but but I, I think either one is quite acceptable. So is this this is a theoretical energetic sphere. We have the biosphere, which scientists can prove, and the geosphere, but this is this it's is much more than that. It's that, but it's also we can think of the noosphere as anything related to humans. So first of all, it would some people have called it the anthroposphere. Uh, that's much later. In recent years, some people are proposing that. And they've even calculated roughly the tonnage of, of the noosphere or the anthroposphere. It would be, think of anything that humans have made or, first of all, humans. Next, we have houses, roads, vehicles, um, you know, clothes. Those are, the, those are the tangible things. The less tangible things would still be counted as the noosphere. Our laws, our cultures, our libraries, our books. Next would be also considered the radio waves, the television waves, the, the um, you know, internet, any satellite, all of that, anything on the planet that is related to humans or an extension of humans and should be considered part of nature. Now, we often think of natural world and human world. They're the same thing, Suzanne. There's no difference because we're part of nature. Now, we're so new, and I'll cover that in a moment, but we've, we've messed up a lot, so we like to think of our, our qualities as unnatural. They're not unnatural. They're out of tune with nature, though. They're, we're not in. We're not in tune with nature. But of course, they're natural because we're part of nature. We're the most recent level of evolution. We're the most recent animal that's come onto this planet. Anyway, the. Uh, well, I just want to tell everybody, if you're listening, this is heavy stuff, deep stuff. But we we are going to get to the so what of all of this. Why yeah, should we care? So what? what that, what's that? It's very much so. What's because. Your whole program is messages of hope, and Teilhard was full of hope, absolutely full of hope. He counteracts both of those uh, questions that were asked us tonight, one about the hate in administrations, the other about the war in Ukraine. And when you look at it from the eye-centered viewpoint that Sinai was talking about, then you just see chaos, you just see fear, you just see okay. pessimism. So the, I love that you brought up these four ways, the four viewpoints that Sinai talked about through which we, the lenses through which we can view our world. So I centered is not these eyes, it's the personal sense of me. Right. So if you see the world as I am a standalone person, me against the world, me having to deal with the world, that's I centered. So oh, if yeah. you would say again what you were saying about that, please. I centered and then there's the group centered and then there's the the global the global centered and the cosmic centered. And each one of those brings a more peaceful, more broadened viewpoint. I mean, thinking of lenses we look through, I'm, I'm nearsighted, myopia it's called. And that's what most of us have. We have, we're just, we're looking at the close up. We can see things close up, but we have a trouble with the broader view of life. Teilhard was actually very good at that. 
I think maybe before we go on, we can say a little bit about Teilhard because he's he was an interesting guy. He was born in 1881. He died in 1955 on Easter Sunday, which is something he kind of wanted to have happen. He's, he was a priest, and and he stayed very devoted to the church. His father was a naturalist and encouraged his children. He had 11, and Ted was the fourth, to um, be interested in nature, you know, collect rocks and plants and butterflies and so forth. And his mother was very spiritual and encouraged him to, to study the saints and Catholicism. He ended up becoming a Jesuit priest, and he was interested in science, but he was also interested in theology and, and in God. And uh, you know, uh, Darwin wrote his book on evolution, in, in published in 59, 1859, but it was still a very new idea. And again, the church wasn't too keen on, on evolution, hardly. And so he, Teilhard, was trying to integrate his interest in paleontology you know, fossils that he would find and and uh, the things that he was learning about growth and and progression and evolution even the word how did that fit in with his beliefs in God and and in the and in, in, in spirit and he, he wanted to he started to see that we're not a static universe we're we're changing and that he felt that the divine would, was showing itself through matter that he started to realize, in fact, that it's interesting, it's parallel with the Vedic concepts that consciousness pervades all matter, that there's really nothing separate about matter and spirit. It's just it's just kind of congealed spirit. Matter's but kind that of would explain spirit. how when you talk about anything that's human being cars and anything we create is still part of nature because ultimately matter is spirit. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, so anyway, where did the hope come in with him? The hope came in, but we need to get a little better sense of the newosphere for that, and then it'll be very clear how hope comes in. Because, well, of course, one basis of the hope is that he he was a believer in God, and he believed God created the universe, although he also believed in evolution. And he, but he had this abiding feeling that God didn't create to destroy; that there was a trajectory in evolution, and the trajectory was one towards more and more life and more and more love. He's very, very felt that love is the basis of the universe. And he fact, had that the, right. <laughs> the world comes into being because of love. He, he wasn't kidding and using it metaphorically. He, he felt that the, the, the pulling together of the components to make an atom was love. The, the atoms coming together with to form molecules was love attracting itself. That um, the unit, the sun attracting the earth, it's it's a it's a not gravity, but it's love that is a gravitational force. I love it's that because if, if I could interrupt, that Sanaya just had me change the third principle of the awakened way to love is the creative force of the universe. The force, right? We think of it as an, an emotion, but it is a force that pervades all and creates all. And what you're saying here, according to Taylard, was it is all that is. Right, and, and it fit even with his religious beliefs because even in the Bible it talks about God is love. And so if he believed that God is all and in all, and if love is all and in all, then that means that somehow he had to explain in his mind, well, how does that fit? Well, if you look at it from that point of view of, of drawing together, then even, even two people falling in love, it's the affinity of being for being. It's the part that's the same within them that's gravitationally pulling them together. Yeah. 
Lack so, of separation is the definition that I love for love. It's <laughs> a very good one, too. I like the way that you use that. By the way, the, those three things that you talk about in the awakened way, the, that one you've added in recently, the third one of the, uh, how did you say it? The creative force of the universe is love. But the other one you used to have is very great, too, that you, you find healing and connection through expanded states of consciousness, That's which true. basically means you identify with love through your experience. So anyway, let's 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 carry on about him. He ended up having a lot of thoughts about this. And interestingly, one of the places where he really started to congeal his thoughts is the place you would never have expected. In World War I, instead of hiding out in some, some monastery, he decided to help as he could. And he went to the front lines as a stretcher bearer. You know, he was wow. a pacifist, so he was a stretcher bearer. Wow. He, got a lot, he got a number of medals for going into very big battles. And you know, you've seen movies of people in the, you know, the fighting going on overhead and the, and the ditches they were living in. And, and that's when he started writing some of his work about the spiritual nature of man and the future of evolution. And so it was, it was amazing that he, he was able to do that. Anyway, the essays that he was writing, the church didn't like. Some of the people in the church didn't like it. And so he wasn't allowed to teach. He was invited to teach at some of the most prestigious universities, but they, they, they forbid him to do it. And they basically sent him to China. To, and he became a very noted paleontologist and geologist there, but he lived there, let me see, I think it was from about 20 years, from 1923 to the middle of the end of the 40s there, after World War II. And that's when he wrote some of his most significant works, but he kept trying to allow them to be published, but Rome would say, no, 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 they didn't, they, they just couldn't, he was too uh, scientific for them. <laughs> Keep in mind, they hadn't until the recent years forgiven Galileo, you know, there, it's, it wasn't a really progressive bunch there. And anyway, so he published a lot of different things, but um, let's get back to the neurosphere. Let's get to the neurosphere. Let me see here. I got it. I think really one of the most important ways to, to look at that is what was, here we go. You know, Teilhard really emphasized that before humans, if you have this expanded viewpoint um, about evolution, in fact, where did this go? I want to I share this um, way of looking at I'm feeling like I'm back in college. I want to know more, but I, I feel like I'm learning from the professor here. Okay. Teilhard was really big at getting things in perspective, which is like the like the scenario, getting that more global or cosmic view. And one way he was talking about it, it's important to keep in mind the size. I mean, let's face it, it wasn't until relatively recently in, in the past couple hundred years that we realized that the earth goes around the earth, the sun, earth goes around the sun. It was thought the other way for, for centuries. And we didn't realize how big it was until recently either. I mean, we we would look out, even astronomers until the 1920s thought that we were the only galaxy. And then Hubble started realizing, no, those stars are galaxies. And they just look like a, they're a cluster of stars. So it wasn't until 1920. And, and now we know there's more galaxies in the universe than there are stars in our own Milky Way galaxy. And and the Milky Way galaxy is immense. If, if you, pictures help, I think, is that if, I read one that if you think of the quarter, if you think of that as how big our solar system is, 
then our solar system would fit in the United States. This quarter would fit in the United States. That's how big our own galaxy is. Whoa. It's, 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 it's hard to think in terms of the numbers, so picture helps a little bit more. And then, where am I here? Well, I'm just still trying to figure out this concept of the noosphere, being yep. the, this human energetic band of energy around the earth and what it does for us or how it do we change it our thoughts well i'll, I'll speed along here but what what i want to do is put human evolution in a one-year period of time it's thought to be that the earth is about 4.5 billion years old but you really can't think of that and i mean it's too it's too big so let's put it in terms of a calendar year so if, if our whole life on earth the 4.5 billion was scrunched into a calendar year then maybe around February or June, the Earth would start solidifying. Maybe by um, March, and certainly no no later than June, the oceans would start to form. I mean, we're nearly halfway through the year. The first cells are thought to have formed maybe in August. The first life forms around November. Hmm. You know, the, the, the oldest fossil records we have in any event. Land, plants didn't begin to colonize land until November 30 of the year. It's just hard to think about that. Dinosaurs had their day in mid-December. Okay. Modern mammals began to emerge as the dominant species around the 26th of December after the extinction of dinosaurs. So we're closing out here. You know, this is mammals are, are a big deal. That's just like 26th of December. The last week of the year, the development of mammals led to an explosion of varying forms. All over 6,500 different species emerged. The age of man didn't occur until the last day of the year. Wow. But in fact, the real ascent of prehumans didn't start until about 10.30 p.m. on the 365th day. Homo sapiens didn't appear until about 11.35 p.m. We're only, we only got 25 minutes left in the year. And continuing with those remaining minutes, we see that the Mesopotamian civilizations began about five minutes before the end of the year. The pyramids in Egypt were born two minutes before midnight. The great Roman Republic where Caesar was murdered was 50 seconds before midnight. And the, human, and the United States has been around for about five seconds. Now, why I bring that up is that to think of the newosphere, you have to think more globally, like Sinai is asking, to think what's going on here, you know, because the message keeps us, look more broadly, look more broadly, don't give it some time where, you know, things are progressing. This is really putting the dark ages and dim ages into perspective when you put it in the terms of evolution and... And how fast it's going, because it's wow. the curve of the growth is going. Teilhard also found a, a, a trajectory of, of greater, greater consciousness, greater co complexity, and greater consciousness. And with the different species that come out, that really was like a rocket. It was just starting to go par parabolic at the, at the end there. Now, here's an interesting thing. That that's one year, but astronomers predict that based on their, their studying of other stars, our sun has about an equal time period, another 4.5 uh, billion years before it extinguishes itself. Where, in other words, like, so we're just. Well, let me stop you a second there because I've heard that the the Big Bang. This is theory also, and I don't want to get us off on too much of a tangent. Is more than a Big Bang, like the Great Exhale, and so it, what you just said is we're like one year into it in 
squish terms, and there would be one year out of it, which we don't have to worry because we're talking billions of years, but that would that would show that it's like the great exhale and inhale going back the other way. It's it's even more than, it would be longer than that because that's how long they predicted it would be good enough for, for life to have, not necessarily when, the, when it would implode upon itself. Hmm. Um, now, he, he had an interesting experiment, and then this will really lead us into talking more about the newosphere, is if you Imagine someplace like Paris, the area around Paris or New York, and you go back about not necessarily a million, but close to a million years ago, which is only going back, you know, not very far using that one year. Yeah. The land would look about the same as it does now. Now, jump ahead to now. In the same place, what would be different? Well, back about a million years ago, there'd be no humans. You may not even see any primates. But go to now and what you're seeing is people everywhere, houses, roads, airplanes. If you could detect them, there'd be cell phone signals. What the heck happened? I mean, if, if evolution is going over this one year, it takes so long, so long, so long, and suddenly, bam, there's man is all over the place. What happened? Okay, now we need to look at something pre-life. Everybody's seen the tree of life, you know, thinks of some biology course, there's the tree of life where there's the trunk and then there's different branches of plants and the arthropods and mammals and so forth. And then we're, humans are on the mammal branch. And, and as you think of the tree of life, one of the things that Taylor talked about is that what we notice is that it is phyletic and dispersive, meaning it would bud and then branch. It would, and on that branch, a new bud would form and it would branch, just the way a tree grows. So life was budding and branching, budding and branching, diversifying. Something very different happened when humans came on board, very different. Because initially we started to be branching. You know, the early hominids, there were quite a number of different ones. But then something happened where instead of diversifying, we started converging. Instead of diverging, we started converging. Why? Because of thought, because of reflective thought. What would happen is this. Communication drew people together. And let's take a a tangible example. Somebody picks up a rock and realizes oh, this works for a tool. Mm-hmm. Suddenly other people in their same grouping could do it. Not only that, but they interact with another group and they can do it. Now, in previous times with other animals, they couldn't do that. Everything was based on DNA transfer and they would enter this blind alley of body specialization. Their beak would get a certain way. Their eyes would develop a certain way. Their claws would develop. They would, they would use their body to specialize. Humans avoided the blind alley of bodily specialization, one, and two, due to thought and sharing thought, we were able to, you know, you can learn it. You didn't have to develop new claws. You could just, you could pick up a stick or a bone or a rock and do the same thing without having to change your DNA. Okay. And, and so things started traveling even more quickly. So you get cold and you figure out how to use some kind of skin. You didn't have to take millions of years to develop DNA changes so that you grew hairier bodies. You just learn how to put on fur. So what happened was humans started changing extrasomatically, non-DNA, but but culturally. We could say newospherically. And so the newosphere began with exchange of ideas. So rather than going genetically or with DNA, we started changing culturally. And so it allowed for a much, much greater. There's no species that's ever been able to do that. The other thing that Taylor pointed out is just sort of the simple obvious. We live on a spherical planet. And so you can't just keep going indefinitely. If you start, for instance, figuratively, if a wave started at the South Pole and moved out, 
once it got to the equator, it would come back on itself, right? That's that's exactly what happened. The, the, the early home man, the early hominids, started spreading all over the place, and and at a certain point they started converging, and the thing that brought them closer and closer was language, and and uh, and the tools that they would form. Tools became um, uh, you know absolutely important in, in not only protecting and supporting humans but also guiding them closer together. Now we can leap forward to think of just communications. Now, oh, and, and, the, and the exchange of information that we have now with technology, of course, is it's what's catapulting us forward. It's absolutely what's catapulted us. But I think a really big shift in perspective is good to insert here, and that is that it's we are evolution made conscious of itself. That was the point. That again, that it's it's a very important concept. Taird said that humans are evolution made conscious of itself. Okay. Now that's a, that's a very important perspective. It's not just we are humans that are thinking about life; we are life thinking about life. Hmm. We are we are you know when a geologist is picking on the ground on some rock, it's the Earth thinking about itself. As 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 somebody has a telescope looking out to space, it's Earth thinking about itself and self-reflecting. As we sit here and talk and 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 reflect back, it's like we're we're thinking about ourselves. It's like if you think that much broader, as I talked about the global or cosmic perspective, it's even the universe thinking about itself in a way. It's self-reflection on itself. And and so as humans developed, as other species developed too, there was this tendency towards what he called cephalization, which means con con you know conglomerating the nervous system into the head. Cephal cephal is the head. I mean, when you think about it, that's where our eyes, ears, nose, mouth, that's our major sensory, that's where the brain, main, main part of the brain. And of course, there's other plexes, and also we think of the heart now increasingly in the gut. But the idea is that all species became more complexified, not all species, but certain branches. Humans are the most complexified, and what they've done is it's, it's allowed for much greater ability to connect with consciousness. You know, that's where the meditation comes in. It's like, we're, we're, go ahead. Well, you see, I, questions are popping up, but as, as you're speaking, I can't help but think this is what is meant by we humans are created in the image of the creator. Absolutely. That's a very good point. It's a very nice point. It's not that somehow or other God looks like our body. Exactly. But, but the essence of the energy that we're formed, it's like, there, there could easily be other noospheres and other planets because if consciousness is, is primary and if consciousness pervades the universe and if consciousness precedes life and matter, what happens is that when matter when life when when matter is formed into life and life develops towards greater and greater complexity, there comes a point when the the, the mechanism of the nervous system is able to reflect or or to um, Tune into that element of itself, and it doesn't you know? And so we on Earth have done that, and so suddenly we're rapidly evolving. We're developing a brain, essentially the brain of Earth. We through the cells, just like we have cells in our brain, we humans are becoming the cells in the brain of Earth. That's I, I've always heard. We human Sanaya said, "You are the cells in the body of God," but you're putting it in terms of Earth, which is a sentient being. Right. And, and because that's, I mean, really, when you think of it, that 
when we start to think of the newosphere, so this this convoluted this uh, this convoluting instead of diversifying, it's forming an entity, just like like earlier, we, molecules form cells and cells form bodies. This group on this planet now, bodies are forming a planetary body of the newosphere. Wow. The now, this is well, deep and this is big. And I want to know why it's not, people aren't paying more attention to it. It kind of died off. I, when I wonder the same thing, Suzanne. I've been, I've been really, I've been excited about this since I was a kid back in the 70s. And some people, they, they couldn't shut me up talking about it. It just seems so important. But, you know, life goes along and you do other things. But to me, the understanding of this word, even you know, words are powerful, and the word brings to me a huge amount of hope and optimism. Now let's let's look at some of those things. Let's look tangibly. Communication. Okay, at one point it was just ver verbal, word of mouth. Then it got to be writing. Then it, you know, with books, and then it got to be more more fully with with um, with um, telegraph, and then telephone, and then and then television, and then radio, and then, of course, the internet. These are all levels of the earth um, neurology, so to speak. We're the, you know, when you think of the internet now, what, how does it do? There's certain places on the planet where there's these warehouses with huge servers. That's like nerve plexus in the body. They're, they're, wow. They're, the, the earth is becoming, a, has been alive, but it's really alive now. It's, 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 it's again, it's self-reflecting. You joke about when you, you Google something, what is that? It's You could look at it from one level. You could look at it. You are tapping into your global brain, your own memory, just like if you if you want to remember somebody's name, you just ponder, I wonder what that is. And somewhere in your brain, you're able to bring that up. And similarly, we're doing that with Earth's brain. We're, we're able to, to bring it up. Now, what, what happens is, that there's a lot of changes and phases that are happening that are very important with this because it helps explain and give hope for certain things. So let's let's look at one that's coming up as a big concern that for more people as as the as the artificial intelligence comes aboard. Worried people are worried about unemployment. Taylor talked about unemployment back in the 1930s as unemployment. Okay. Unemployment is people getting out of work, truck drivers not being driving because the trucks are going to be self-driving or, or uh, bankers oh, not being. Well, I walked into the local Walmart not long ago. There was not a single cash register open because they didn't have enough employees. You were on your own. You had to self-check out. So yeah, I went into a grocery store the other day. They're, they're pushing people towards that. So those, those are the sorts of things. And there's many of those things, but so Teilhard was saying, we shouldn't be worried about that. He, he and Huxley, another biologist from the previous century, talked about you know, the progress and evolution. All the different species became in greater control over an independence of the environment. So let's let's look for example at, at at going from the sea to taking the sea with you onto the land, so to speak. From having external fertilization to having internal fertilization to having eggs laid, laying loose in the water to lay eggs laying. There's greater, you know, taking, instead of relying on the sun to warm you up, developing internal metabolism to heat your body. There's always, there's these upper levels of evolution, and each one wait, leads wait. towards more freedom. And You're more losing me here because it's, it's, we're getting very theoretical. I want to know how unemployment is actually hopeful. Okay, back to unemployment. Yeah. <laughs> 
what I was trying to get at is that whenever evolution occurs, there's a freed psychic energy. There's a freed energy. When, okay. when the reason we're able to think right now, I'm not beating my heart. I'm not digesting my food. We have, we have automatic mechanisms to deal with that. It leads towards a lot more freedom. Not only that, but I'm retired and I don't, I don't go out and hunt and gather and take my whole day doing that. I went to the grocery store and bought the food. So there's a lot more freedom that we have. Okay, so unemployment is not a problem. That's what Terrence says it leads us to do what is, is very good for humans to do, which is research and to think and to become not just to learn more, but to be more, to do meditation, to do research into consciousness, to do. He talked about, for instance, that again, this is the earth reflecting on itself, that you know, 200 years ago, there certainly were researchers, but they were an odd bunch. They were not connected. They were curious people. And they were also usually wealthy people because they had the time to fiddle with that. It was like a hobby. Now, when you think of research, you think of millions of people, millions of people. That's their job. That's If you look at that from the broader global perspective of other life species, there's no other species that has covered the whole globe with one species. We're one species. No other species has done that. And yet we're still coalesced. The genome, is, it's hypothesized the genome of humans today is very little different from it was thousands and thousands of years ago. And yet look how different it is. So we're not changing our genome. We're changing the newosphere around us. And it's growing more and more towards consciousness. Wow. Wow. So when you look at the, the, the things like economics, you start to think of economics as comparable to the circulatory system of the of the or the or the, um, the nutritional system of the planet, and we're getting more and more connected economically. Terrence says you can't you can't think of the future any more than than it'll be pan pan connected. It'll be we're, we're looking we're moving towards one culture on the planet. We have to think outside any global barriers, any relate any any racial barriers. Um, so practical things here. Let's go back to this war in Iraq, I mean, into Ukraine. There's a lot of fear. When you look at the, from Sinai's point of view, at the person-centered, it's terrible, absolutely terrible. But what has it done? If you look at the more global perspective, as soon as it started, there was a massive uprising. The other part of the planet was saying, no. Suddenly we were saying, we love people to be safe. We love people to be taken care of. We do not want people to be hurt. And we want safety. We want peace. So the pendulum is pushed the other direction. And so what's occurring is when you look globally at this, I mean, initially we were just bands of, of, of hominids wandering around, hunter-gatherers. Then around 15,000 years ago, we started to get in groups where we had agriculture. And then about seven or 8,000 years ago, we started having civilizations forming. We, we've now covered the planet. There's no open space, so to speak. Every, every place is covered and claimed. But what's occurring now, we're still converging. We're still converging. What's occurring is that economically we're converging. Um, educationally, we're converging. Look, at here's a very concrete example. English is the world language. It's like we're thinking together. doesn't matter what country you're in. You're going to find people speaking English. And, and so these are concrete examples. And so when terrible things happen, there's another side, that's one pendulum swing. But what's happening on the other side is 
is he's is unity. We're, we after World War One and Two, which really is one war in a sense. What was the outcome of that? Much greater world unity, much greater coherence in the world, much greater peace for a period of time. Certainly, there were battles here and there, not to minimize there how terrible those are, but we're and the same thing is happening with this this problem with Russia and Ukraine. It's drawing us closer together. There's something that he talked about increasingly. Uh, as, as he talked about the future, we need to have greater sympathy. We need to develop the heart, the love. And that's some of the things that are coming out from work such as yours and many other groups is that the idea is that if love, what's going to be the future of the newosphere is there needs to be more love, more connection, more compassion. And there's ways that that can be developed, but that will, it's not going to be just through economics. You know, Jim, as you're talking, I'm getting this sense of this new sphere being a being. It's a being. That's what I want to get across. It's a live being. It's, it's you know, it's like this. Well, hang hand, on. Right? So uh, the definition of a being is a conscious entity. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Right. He, he talked about the, the curve of corpusculation, which is sort of an odd thing. But he, he, he actually mapped out from atoms to molecules to cells to organisms, life organisms, to, to, and, to, and, he, and he correlated complexity and, and there's a distinct border, so to speak, around each corpuscle. That's what the idea was. And it's growing. And he sees the newosphere as a corpuscle of life. And, and it's, it's, it's it, just like my body has millions, billions of trillions of cells. We're a society. We're not one. Each cell is, is different and separate, but we're all together making this body. And that's what's happening with the noosphere. We're one body. We're one lively being. And at this point, we don't have, we're in the dim ages, as I joked, we don't have self-reflection on the global level. But Teilhard was predicting that in the million, in the thousands of years to come, we will, oh. and that as we gain more sympathy, is the word he used, or love, compassion. What's compassion. What's going to occur potentially is, I mean, of course, look at when you look at the boundaries of the borders. It's, it's we're going to we're going to be one society at some point. It's it's inevitable based on the trajectory that's been been plotted, huh. and so here's again a practical. That's the hopeful part. Yeah. There's a, there's there's a very practical thing is. Another thing that seems terrible is all these refugees all over the world. I don't see it as terrible at all. What's occurring is this. We've had a big problem with nationalism. That, that, that keeps people apart. That stops people. They'll love their own people, but they'll hate the ones on the other side of the border. But what's occurring with this refugee ex, you know, exodus all around the planet is they're merging with other civilizations. The, 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 we're, brought, we're breaking boundaries down. And we're, we're going to be, how are we doing? I want, to, I want to bring this other example up. 
um, one point I was in, my wife and I were in Finland uh, waiting at the airport to go to Copenhagen, Denmark. And I struck up a conversation with a man, a Dane, and was talking about some things in Denmark. Now, I would bet that you and most people, when you think of a Dane, you've got sort of an image of yourself. What's a Dane look like, you know? This guy was dark-skinned. He, he, he originally was born in Eritrea, which is just south of Ethiopia. And so I was talking to him about, he's been in Denmark for a long enough time that his kids were in their 20s and were, one was about to get married or had gotten married, I forget. And he was and talking to some people at a party and they, he was sensing it because I asked him, what about prejudice for it towards you? How's that been? And he said, pretty good most of the time. But he said, it was at a party and he said to people, what does the person look like? What country does the person look like when they're, you know, he did that. And he said, well, they joked and they said, you know, China probably. And he said, okay, now what country does a person like this belong to? And he just looked at, and they, they kind of embarrassedly got it. He's a Dane, you know, he's a Dane. So I joked and I said, so is your children married? He said, one of them's already dating somebody that's, uh, you know, traditionally Northern European and their children will look different. And so I said, so I'm looking at the new face of Denmark here. And, and, and of course that's the case across the whole of Europe and all. Now, if you come to the United States, I had an Indian doctor one time ask me, what does it mean to be an American? And it was a reasonable question, but because we have a huge landmass, Pacific to Atlantic, and we have, you can drive the whole way with no, with no stops of borders or papers to have to show. We have one set of laws, I mean, breaking down into states, of course. That's an that's a example of what the world will be. Where Now, what he was saying, a, a, a Dane, what does a Dane look like? It was, we've got stereotypes, you're a Frenchman or a German or, or Spain or Spaniard, but when you say, what does an American look like? If you think broadly, you realize, well, it could be anybody. So that's what's happening with the world. And these, these refugees all over are spreading religious beliefs, um, uh, genetic, genetic, it's, we're, we're becoming one world. And so in terms of the noosphere, that's evolution. In terms of the noosphere, that's evolution. But if you have to get out of myopia to see that. So out of the eye-centered and group-centered, more into the global-centered, and when you get to cosmic-centered, it is all one. Absolutely. The reincarnation studies have pointed out that that you're not, you, you know, you could have been an African, you could have been a German, you could have been in your previous life, you could have been male, you could have been female. It's like we change around. So we're, we, from the cosmic viewpoint, we're not just this body. That's what, what's that? You're not only human is one of your first point. And it's, it's, those three points are very brilliant, really. They, 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 they summarize about, nicely. Yeah. The, the awakened way principles, the awakened way is what this whole show is based on. You are not only human, you are part of one big web connecting all that is. And in this, this case, case, the noosphere is one big it. web. It's one that's big it. web, absolutely one big web. And the, the point is that the guides, our guides, see it as one web and as a light and it shines brighter as each of us come to to up level our viewpoint from me center to cosmic center the thing is it's nothing wrong with the me center there are times when no. that's very appropriate very we are still living and we have to interact peacefully with laws but when you learn the flexibility of viewpoint you find peace 
Absolutely. I mean, you can help the refugees. You can feel compassion for their plight as individuals, but it doesn't mean you have to have fear or sadness or pessimism that we're running out of time here on the planet. Same way for pollution and temperature change. I think, you know, just as people have, this maybe sound ridiculous to some listening to this, but just as there's spontaneous remission from certain diseases, as we get more in tune with our inner self, similarly, as the planet gets more in tune, as the whole newsphere gets more in tune with natural law, then we're, we're going to have more connectivity, more health, more, more um, um, orderliness in society because you'll be connected with that more basic level of ourself, wow. which is orderliness, which is purity. People in the Vedic yeah. tradition, they talk about pure consciousness, which is what we are. That's right. Oh. And see, so, I love this, Jim. I mean, this is deep stuff, but we're planting seeds here for people to learn to see things differently, the flexibility of viewpoint, and to see all of us as part of one wholeness related to the earth. But even that is just earth-centered. The big picture is just too hard to wrap our heads around. It's too hard, but we need to practice it because it gives us, as Sanaya talked about, we, it helps us not be f having fear. And, and we and we have to have more optimism. I talked to a close friend the other day that's very very nice person, but they're very pessimistic for the future. They see all these problems and they, they feel like humanity's gonna be wiped out. There's no guarantees, of course, but I don't think that life has evolved this far to extinguish itself. I, I think that we're we're it doesn't mean that it's okay. We have to do the things that are needed to to be done to rewrite the direction. But when you look back again at that one year of the planet and how we just have come about in the last few minutes of the year, we're like little babies pooping in their pants, you know. We we don't know what to do yet, but we're growing very quickly. We're gonna we're gonna get out of this this infantile nature as we evolve, as we've got a long ways to go and we're moving very quickly. One of the key parts is going to be, and I think people feel it increasingly, is this sense of love. Taylor talked about, in, in this nice book about called Building the Earth, he talked about the different economic or social systems of communism, fascism, democracy, how each has its positive and negative points of view. And one of the problems with democracy, he pointed out, is we have this sense of being isolated individuals sometimes, you know, the rugged individualists, that we gain our fullness by being separate. On the other hand, communism turns people into uh, termites. You know, we're mindless, non-spiritual cogs in a, in a social wheel. And fascism is stuck in, in the isolation and antiquity of, 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 of uniqueness and not you know, being separate from other people except their own people. It, it won't work. We have to have more sympathy, compassion, and love. And and so people sometimes wonder, well, if we get so united, you know, we get so completed, what's going to happen to our individuality? And Taird talked about, he had this lovely quote, that union differentiates. And, and Marshi had this nice, nice saying, he wrote this poem about love and God. He said, unity is thy nature, diversity is thy glory. And, and as we gain more individual nature, it'll support the whole. As we, as we reach towards the whole, it'll support the individual. The feedback. Yeah. And there's this another nice broad sense of the love that the concept the Course in Miracles talks about. There's no love but God's love. So when I'm loving somebody in Ukraine that I've never met, or when I'm loving somebody in my family, it's 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 God's love coming through me. And so the same way as and as we understand these broader perspectives, 
then we, we can tune into that love and accentuate that love and it'll bring much more compassion, much more fulfillment, more freedom for everybody. Wow. I think that is the perfect note to end on, Jim. I mean, I'm you're just so touching the surface here and we've, we've gone through a whole hour already, but we've, you've done a beautiful job of introducing people to this concept of us being part of this body that is connected to Mother Earth and all of it consciousness, all of it God, all of it love. Uh, I can't even do justice to the eloquent way you mentioned all of it, but I hope that it will spur those listening to at least start Googling Noosphere and giving some thought to it and talking to their own guides for more guidance about it. And, and I want to give people the sense of hope that, you know, Marcia used to say, for a forest to be green, we have to have green trees. What we can do our individual level is we can, you know, if we are evolution made conscious of itself, it's, it behooves us to consciously evolve. We can't rely on genes anymore. We have to consciously evolve. We have to meditate. We have to eat properly. We have to be kind to our neighbor. We have to, these are practices we can do. And there's so much we can do as individuals to bring more joy and peace and light to the planet. Yeah. Anyway, I, we should end with Sanaya. One of the things that it said in one of these readings is find peace by going to that place of cosmic centered perspective. All is well. How can I add to this without having fear? How can I add to this without adding anger? Those are very nice words to think about. Well, a lot to think about. I love how you kept bringing it back to hope. This is the one thing that I have found when I shift to the global and then especially the cosmic perspective that we are not stuck in this fearful me state and you've helped us to see that today and and bring a whole new perspective into it so thank you jim you're welcome thank you for having me all right a pleasure. yes indeed thank you all for joining us i'm glad that this is recorded because i may need to go back and listen to it there were some things that even gave me some some real ahas and i want to think some more about gaia mother earth as truly being the matrix of all of this so thank you, everybody. We'll be back with new and exciting shows and some Q&A sessions. Meanwhile, go out and have a beautiful rest of the day. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.